welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I am your host, Dara Marr, and I am joined today by two members of the Drew Brees to Come Out Retirement Fan Club, <laughs> Fionn Malloy and Jake Woolhead. Guys, can you not just let the guy retire? No, no, he needs to come back and play for another 20 seasons. He he's, broke, making, he's making Tom Brady look better. <laughs> he broke nearly he every rib. Last season. I'm convinced that was, that's why he came back last season. He was going to retire and Tom Brady said, no, I'm playing another year. <laughs> that's probably it. That is probably it. We do have actually a packed show this week. We're continuing our off-season series. And we are going to be looking at the Tennessee Titans. And on the show with us this week is uh, Gentry Estes, who is sport columnist for the Tennessean. Uh, Gentry, how are you? Good. Good to be with you guys. Excellent stuff. We are delighted to have you on to talk a bit of Titans today. But before we get into that, if you are watching the show on YouTube, if you can, if you can, could you please like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network? That is where you will get this podcast each and every week on YouTube. Alternatively, if you want to get us on the audio side of things, you can uh, through Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. Just search Dynamo Podcast Network. And we'll be there too. And the great thing is, it's not just our podcast. There's so many other ones there too. You have the four podmen for any wrestling fans out there. You also have retrotainment for any your retro movie fans uh, out there that want to hear some facts and figures about the old retro movies that you used to love uh, as a kid. So let's get into the show and let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. Um, Gentry, we're going to start a little bit uh, at the 2020 season um, and I want to get your overall um, verdict briefly about the season as a whole under Coach Bravel. Another playoff appearance, division win but it seems as though it was there was a little bit left there that you could have went a little further if it wasn't for the, the loss against the Ravens. Yeah, you know, really as you look at the, at the Titans this year, that they go 11 and five. So, so you say, yeah, I mean, it was a good season, uh, but they, they were pretty lopsided in terms of their offense was outstanding and the defense was terrible. And they, you never really got the sense that this team was as much of a Super Bowl contender as maybe the year before when they made kind of a surprise run to the AFC championship game. This last year's team, they, they just never seemed complete. Uh, they would win games based largely off the offense quarterback and Ryan Tannehill, obviously maybe the best running back in the league and Derrick Henry, but defensively it, it was a challenge. They, they dealt with a lot of injuries on that side of the ball and just a lot of holes that they didn't really get filled uh, in the off season and, and in free agency. And, you know, you just always felt like each week if they were going to win games, they were just going to have to outscore people. And they were able to do that, uh, which I think is a credit to what they had going on on the offensive side of the ball. To me, 11 and five, they were a little lucky for me to, to be able to, to, to do that. Um, they won a lot of close games late, uh, drives late in games, get sending games to overtime, making plays. Um, they were able to win those close games, and that says something about their team. Uh, there was a lot of fight there. They were never out of games. They would always come back. They would always show a lot of grit and determination and all that, but they need a better defense if they're going to take the next step. Yeah, and speaking of fight, there was – a good bit of fight with the team, especially with this new rivalry that they seem to have struck up against the Ravens regular season with obviously all the shenanigans you could say with the uh, on the crest in the middle of the field. And then 
the the Ravens did it back in in the playoff game. It's I think that's something that we're missing in football is a good rivalry between two teams that just blatantly just don't like each other. Yeah, that's that's the case. They definitely have that, and and you know a little bit of history there that the Ravens being the the top seed in 2019 and the Titans go in and beat them, and that was a you know that was a real real kick in the stomach there for the Ravens. They didn't expect that. That you, you I was there that night in Baltimore and. You know, nobody. You could tell from their fans to the players, nobody expected Tennessee to come in and do that to them. Then they played again last season, got into a little scrap before the game started. Um, basically, what the way that works is the Titans before every game they would kind of meet up at the middle of the field. It's just something they've always done with Rabel, where the team would meet up, and you never really thought much of it. But but for some reason that day in Baltimore, the Ravens really took exception to the Titans doing that and logo in the middle of the field. And you had uh, John Harbaugh and Malcolm Butler kind of jawing back and forth a little bit, and some more of the Titans players got involved. And, you know, you could tell it was, it was pretty contentious, and that game was going to be that way, and it was. It was a physical game, the, the close game. The Titans made a bunch of plays at the end and won it in overtime. So I think for the Ravens to, to come to Nashville and win uh, the playoff game was, was, was a big deal uh, for Baltimore. They were, really, they were really up for that and, and wanted to – to uh, to pay Tennessee back a little bit, and you know I don't I don't think they're uh, going to play again next year, which is a shame. The NFL should make that happen. Yeah, it should be you play your three division rivals, and for the Titans and Ravens, you play each other every season. That's a that's a guarantee for sure. It should be. Um, but you talked about the issues on defense last year. It's something that they've looked at, obviously in free agent this year too. But last year, the signings, especially of Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley, like pass rush was something that they wanted to get right and they just they seem to really struggle to get at the passer and um, for pressures or even sacks last year they were 29th I believe in, in sacks last year uh, and looking at now this offseason something that they continue to try and and try and try and fix by making the, the signing especially of Bud Dupree on, on a massive deal and the fact that he's still recovering from the injury as well, what do you make of the move? Because just as an outsider looking in myself now, I, I thought, like, obviously the pass rush, he, he is a good pass rusher, but I think he was one that fared and benefited a lot from the amount of attention that TJ Watt got in games, so that Bud Dupree was able to probably get a lot more sacks or a lot more QB pressures than maybe he will in, in Tennessee. I think that's a good point, and, and that's that's come up. Uh, the first media availability with Bud, he got asked about that, and he he kind of bristled about it a little bit. You know, he he, he kind of stuck up for himself and and said, "You'll watch the tape. You look at the plays I'm making. You know, I think he's a confident guy, and I think he he was a good addition." The the thing about it, uh, those signings last year, Vic Beasley was just just a horrific signing. They they spent ten million dollars on a guy that they ended up cutting in mid season. Uh, because he was just that unproductive. And, um, you know, Clowney, when he was on the field, was 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 a pretty good player. I'm not sure worth what they paid there either. But, uh, you know, he gets hurt. They, they, don't, they don't have him out there at the end of the year. And it was just a, it's a bust. They needed to fix their pass rush, and they weren't able to do it. And it was evident, you know, talking about the defensive struggles. Yeah, they didn't get sacks, but they didn't even get pressure. Like you said, I mean, they – quarterbacks against the Titans too often just stood there and did what they wanted to do. And you can't, you can't do that in the NFL, any NFL quarterback, if you allow him to do that, it's going to tear you apart. And I think most of their problems defensively, they weren't, 
they weren't great at the back end in coverage, but I, but I think it did have to do with the pass rush. And I think they think it had to do with the pass rush. So you get into free agency and they probably paid too much for Bud Dupree, but if you're going to get a guy who is proven to get sacks in that league, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for it. Uh, that's, that's just too much, too much in demand, that position and that specialty. And so you kind of knew going in, they were going to have to bid pretty high for somebody and they did uh, to go get Bud Dupree. And uh, as I'm sure you guys probably have talked about, this NFL offseason has been a lot different in the fact that the salary cap went down for the first time in, I think, nine years. So you're seeing around the league a lot of teams are having to part ways with guys that they probably wouldn't want to uh, without that, without w- if the cap had increased as it normally would have. The Titans had to do that too. Uh, you know, there were a couple of uh, cuts along the way that, 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 that I think really hurt, and, and you had to do that to be able to get the capital to go make a signing like Bud Dupree. And I, I think, you know, the question is, we talked about how good the offense is. Well, they didn't, they didn't re-sign Corey Davis, uh, the second wide receiver who ended up with the Jets. They didn't re-sign Jonu Smith, the tight end, who I think was, was an underrated part of what they did offensively for a couple last couple of years. He ends up making big money with the Patriots. And so I think the question is, how much were they willing to sacrifice offensively to address their needs on defense? And I think losing those guys – in addition to signing Bud Dupree, kind of kind of answered that question. They they have a couple other additions. So I think Danico Autry was an underrated signing as an interior defensive lineman. I think he's the kind of guy who can generate more of an interior pass rush than what they had. I mean, I don't think it's just on the edge. I think they needed that guy in the middle to create more of a push. And I think he's that guy. And they took him from the Indianapolis Colts, their top rival in the division. So I, I really like that signing. And, uh, you know, at cornerback, they essentially traded Malcolm Butler for uh, Janoris Jenkins from the Saints. And, and in both cases, Butler and Jenkins were cap casualties for both teams and they end up going to new teams on reduced deals. And that's just kind of what's happening in the NFL right now with a lot of these veteran players. Gentry, I have a quick question for you. We've obviously talked about the free agency and trying to rebuild that defense a little bit and and fill in some holes from last season. Obviously the other big way for teams to do it is the draft that's coming up really quickly on us. You guys are picking kind of on the lower end of the draft in the second half is there anybody you have your eye on that you would hope that the Titans would go after? Are you hoping maybe they supplement some of those offensive guys that they lost to keep that offense as potent as they can or go defensive and try and really shore up what you saw as the biggest weakness of the season? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think before, before adding Bud Dupree and free agency, I think most people would have said edge rusher. Got to be edge rusher. And the way the first round is going to fall with the Titans picking 22nd, there's a lot – the edge rusher class this year isn't very top heavy, but you've got a lot of guys in that late first, early second round kind of range. So I think at 22, they're going to have their pick of quite a few guys that could help them at edge rusher. They may, they may do that. Uh, but the other needs I think that are most pressing would be cornerback and wide receiver. Uh, I think in both cases, it is top heavy. I think you've got a few guys that probably are going to go before 22. And then there's a little bit of a gap. So you got to ask yourself, if you go that route, do you reach on somebody you really like? Do you trade down? What do you do for that? Or do you try to make a move and go up? If it was me, what I'd like to see him do, I'd like to see him trade up and get a difference maker. I think a guy like Devontae Smith from Alabama, the Heisman Trophy winner, there's a lot of questions about his size in the NFL. I, I think from what I've heard, I think Jalen Waddle gets picked ahead of him, his teammate at Alabama, assuming he's healthy. So I think you can start seeing Devontae, if he starts falling 11, 12, 13 into the teens, 
I think that's a great move for the Titans to jump up and get that guy. That that second wide receiver spot for the Titans is a gold mine for whoever goes into that position. And I think Corey Davis proved it last year because defenses have got to number one, they've got to worry about Derrick Henry, but they've also got to worry about AJ Brown on the other side. So if you're that second wide receiver in the Titans offense, you're seeing single coverage all day. And Devonte Smith proved at Alabama this last season you can't cover him. I mean, really, I, 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 there was no college corner that was able to cover that guy in single coverage. You put him in that kind of situation, and I think the Titans' offense looks pretty scary. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think I agree with you on Devontae Smith as well. I wouldn't be so worried about his size specifically because of the way the Titans play offense, and on that play-action pass, he's going to be much more out in the open, kind of break open the top of the defense and not have to worry so much about slants across the middle or getting, like, bashed around I think so I think that'd be a really nice pick for them obviously with his talent level he'd be a nice pick for any team I guess agreed agreed and I think with the size I mean a lot of the Titans people they valued Corey Davis so much because he was a good run blocker it was kind of an underrated part of his game and what they like to do if you saw a lot of these runs Derrick Henry made down the field you would often see Devon or uh, Corey Davis and some of the other receivers at times who were making these blocks down the field. And they're going to have to find guys that can do that. And they did sign Josh Reynolds, who was a kind of a third, fourth guy for the Rams the last few years, pretty cheap deal, kind of a prove it deal for Josh one year. That, to me, that was a good addition. I think that's the guy who probably did pretty well with the Rams behind some other big name guys. Who's kind of ready for that to take that next step. And I think one of the reasons that the Titans beat out the Kansas city chiefs for him and, you, know, you think a guy like Reynolds, well, of course he'd want to go to Kansas City and play with Mahomes, but I think the Titans won out there because of what, what I, was, I was talking about, that that second wide receiver spot, whoever is in that role, is, is going to probably put up big numbers. I think that's what helped Corey Davis, and I think that helped him get Josh Reynolds. The question is, I, I don't really think the Titans are going to draft a receiver in the first round. I think they believe there'll be some guys available later. I still think edge rusher, unless a cornerback falls to them, they didn't expect. I think it's it's easy to, enough to have a wide receiver when if he misses the block, Derrick Henry just throws the cornerback into the stands anyway. I don't think he's too worried about making his block. <laughs> Tell you this, I, I've I've covered a lot of running backs in my career, and there's 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 nobody else I've ever seen that when he gets through the first level, there is a buzz in the press box in the stadium. You just get there's that anticipation that once he's through that first wave, you know a DB is not tackling him by himself, and he really could go at a moment's notice. I mean, the, the, the as big as he is and as fast as he is, he, he is something special. Yeah, for a man of his size, to see him break that first initial tackle, he is almost, like, 50% of the time, he's making it all the way. Like, it just almost seems like that in your head that he's going to make it, like, all the way, at least 50% of the time. Um, Gentry, I just have one question as well. So, you could say I'm not a fan of Hill, of Tannehill. Um, do you think he has sustained su- uh, success now after losing, say, Johnny Smith and... Corey Davis, depending on if they can replace Corey Davis, and also losing your uh, your offensive coordinator. I think you, mm-hmm. you replaced him with uh, the tight ends coach, Todd Downing. I, I was going to say that the big one to me on that is Arthur Smith is losing the offensive coordinator because I think he was uh, he was a huge part of their success offensively. Arthur did a great job the last couple of years. He he, he completely deserved the job in Atlanta. That was a great hire by the Falcons. Um, they're going to miss Arthur. I don't care what they did to replace him. Uh, I think they went for continuity by bringing in a guy who was already on the staff. I know Todd Downing has been a coordinator before he was for a year with the Raiders. It didn't go very well. So I think they're kind of banking on he's learned since then. And he's kind of more 
prepared for for to step into this role. Plus, he's got a better offense now than he had then in Oakland. And I think, you know, they built so much off the play action, putting two, three tight ends out there at a time. That created matchup problems for defense. So, yeah, not having Jonu Smith it could limit them quite a bit when it comes to that. They're they bringing back some guys like Jeff Swaim, Anthony Ferkser. These guys are good tight ends, but they're not Jonu Smith. They, they can't hurt you down the field the way Jonu Smith could, and, and it kind of limits what you want to do offensively. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think Tannehill has been a good fit in Tennessee because – um, he, he, he knows what he's doing out there. He makes checks. He, he knows what plays to put him in. And look, guys, a lot of quarterbacks would benefit from having a running back like Derrick Henry because it changes everything the defense does, that they have to gear up to stop him. And most times they try and they still can't. And uh, I think with the play action and what the Titans have been able to build off that, it's had a lot to do with, with Tannehill's accuracy, the decisions he makes. I mean, he's, he's a veteran back there. I, I, I do think Tannehill's done – uh, an underrated job in Tennessee. I, I think he's one of the top 10, top 12 quarterbacks in the league. I, I don't think he gets credit for how good he's been. And I think a lot of that has to do with what happened to him in Miami. And a lot of people's minds were kind of already made up, but also the fact that the Titans don't get the media attention as some, a lot of other teams do. They don't play a lot on Monday night, Sunday night, and some of these marquee games that a lot of the other teams do. Uh, the guys on the team are aware of that, by the way. They, they use that as motivation, and they talk about it all the time, and we always play at noon on Sunday. And it's true. They do. And I just think Tannehill doesn't get a lot of it. He didn't make the Pro Bowl this last year, and there was a lot of talk around here about that. A lot of people were upset about that and said, you know, he really deserved it if you looked at the numbers. And, you know, guys, they don't win 11 games without Tannehill last year, not even close. And, you know, he, he has been – to go from Marcus Mariota to him, if you look at the Titans' record from the time they made that switch, they've been a completely different franchise. And, you know, uh, Derrick Henry deserves a, a lot of the credit for that, but Ryan Tannehill does too. Yeah, especially, I think, um, who it was Deshaun Watson that took his place. So a five-win Deshaun Watson took the place of an 11-win Ryan Tannehill in the Pro Bowl last year, which, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense sometimes. But going back to the tight end, uh, situation and uh, just looking at, at the draft prospects you know there, there's a few there maybe third fourth round that you could go after I'm looking at the likes of maybe you know a, a, a Tommy Tremble or there's a Hunter that's, Long that's the guy I well. would have said the no, yeah. guy from Notre Dame Tremble yeah that's that makes a that one makes a lot of sense to me big physical guy he's got some ability I if I had to say one, I'd say him. And, and Hunter Long, I wouldn't discount that either because Mike Brabel's son played for Boston College, so it's not, he's watched every game he's played. Well, there we go. I think it's confirmed <laughs> now. Hunter Long to the Titans in the 2021 draft. It's all, all, all I know is if, if you need a tight end, go Iowa. They seem to always have tight ends up there. Very true. <laughs> um, so just looking at the – the rest of free, like you were mentioned, the cornerback is definitely a position of need and you've lost uh, Malcolm Butler. And and I want to get your opinion on the loss of Adoree Jackson because he was a player that they didn't take uh, the fifth-year option on. They, they released him when they probably could have tagged him and they probably would have had to pay less than the Giants now were paying. It seems a bit of a strange move to, to, to get rid of him. I agree. That one surprised me. Very little of what the Titans have done this offseason truly surprised me, and I didn't. I expected they'd probably have to, to cut Malcolm Butler when you looked at the salary. But when you look at it, Butler and Adoree both 
cost him about $10 million against the cap. So you're looking at it and you're saying they're going to pick one of the two. You, you never thought they'd drop both of them. And that decision was made alongside Dennis Kelly, the right tackle. And both of those moves to release those players, that was the first time where you're kind of like, okay, what are you doing? Because I was surprised with Adore. I, I think he's, he's a good young player who was hurt most of last season. And so I think there was some recency bias with Butler because he was coming off a good year. But to me, it was pretty obvious that Adore was the more valuable player of the two because he's a lot younger. He's fast. He's, he's so much of what you want in today's NFL when he's out there. That said, the production was never quite enough to justify that kind of salary. I will say that. Um, now, maybe he could reach that. There was still some upside there. It's interesting to me that they drop a Dory and he goes to the Giants and he's making more there than he would have with the Titans. And somebody messed that up. (laughs) I don't either the Titans or the Giants, one of them. And so that you don't normally see that. And so I think there was, you know, some differing opinions really on what to expect from a Dory because there's a lot of talent there. He just never hasn't quite lived up to it yet. Still a younger player. But you look, guys, they're they're. They're, they're starting from scratch a little bit on defense. I mean, they did. They cleaned house. And it's interesting that they cleaned house with the personnel on the field, but not the coaching staff. Last year, a big part of this last year was Dean Pease retired after the AFC Championship game. Longtime coordinator. He'd been there in Brable's first two seasons. Brable doesn't hire a coordinator to replace him. He takes Shane Bowen, the outside linebackers coach, and basically makes him the de facto guy, but he does, he's not calling him the coordinator. Uh, we're getting beat, bits and pieces throughout the year, like, well, who's calling plays? I guess you know, play. Well, you know, I guess Shane Bowen is. Well, is Vrabel doing it now? And and it was, it was, it was bizarrely complicated from afar to see what they were doing defensively, and I never really understood it. So it would have made sense, I think, going into this offseason to to really go get a coordinator and say, okay, let's let's try some new things. Let's bring in some fresh eyes to kind of see what we were doing wrong and put that together. Didn't do that. He, he, he just took Shane Bowen and made him the full-time coordinator. He gave him the title. And a lot of fans didn't like that. That was not a very popular decision. When you're coming off a year like what the Titans just had defensively, and you don't make hardly any changes to the coaching staff, but you overhaul the players, you're, you're sending a pretty clear message to everyone that we don't think it was the coaching. We think it was the players. And, you know, the players themselves may not like that. Um, but we'll see. You know, if you're going to take that kind of stance, you need to make it work because you're not going to be able to come back and say it again next year. Yeah, for sure. And just looking at the rest of the division, you've got the Jaguars now, Urban Meyer probably looking at uh, Trevor Lawrence. The Colts have gotten Frank Reich back together with Carson Wentz. You know, we don't know what the hell is going on in Houston with the Texans, but they are signing a lot of players and trying to make it a, a journeyman team, you could probably call it. And we're probably uh, Tyrod Taylor under center next year, uh, providing you don't make any other sort of moves. But uh, are you still expecting another division win and a home playoff next year? I, I think it'll it's it's the pretty clearly two teams and the Titans and the Colts. I, I think the Colts with Carson Wentz is interesting. I'm curious, is like everyone else, to see how that goes. I've I've kind of always thought pretty highly of Carson Wentz. I, I know. It got a, got away from him a little the last couple of years here in Philly, but I do think I think he's a good player as long as he's able to recapture some of his confidence. I think what happened to him in Philadelphia had to do with the lack of protection he had there. Sometimes you see this where 
quarterbacks take enough hits and it affects them. It affects how they're, how they're able to play. If he's able, he's going into Indy where they have a fantastic offensive line. Uh, they've got some guys around him. Indy, Indianapolis has a good team. They have a lot of talent. And I think if he's right, they have the ability to, to win the division ahead of the Titans. If he's not, then yeah, I, I think the Titans have enough to be the best team in a division where two of the teams are just kind of in the wilderness right now. And you don't know what to expect. Cool. And uh, finally, uh, one of the last questions before we let you go, the NFL announced that the, officially that the 17th game is happening from the 2021 season. And um, the way things are working out, it looks like the Titans are going to be playing the saints at home, which is going to be interesting to see what their quarterback situation is going to be like by the time this game comes around. Are you in favor of the 17th game? No, but only because I, I I'm a stats nerd and I hate the fact that now Every record has to have an asterisk by it because everybody's going to have an extra game. I hate that. I do. I just, I've thought that the whole time. And, um, you know, but I think from the standpoint of what it does to next year's schedule, it actually was a good thing for the Titans because what happens is they add the Saints because you have the, the, the number one team from the AFC South against the number one team from the NFC South. So the number two team from the AFC South, the Colts, they get to add Tampa, who is the number two team. So you get the Super Bowl champs now on the Colts schedule. So I think that extra game is probably a good thing for the Titans because who would you rather play between the two, the Saints without Drew Brees or the Bucks? you know, returning pretty much everybody from what they had last year. So I, you know, I, it's, it's a tough game, you know, with the Saints, but, but I think the Saints are one of those teams that you kind of go into next season with no real idea what to expect. You're, you're going to, they were hit about as hard as anyone by the whole salary cap situation. I mean, they really had to, drop a bunch of guys and they really didn't add much to replace them. So they're worse than they were. They had no choice, but to be, and, you know, and obviously losing Drew Brees, it's, well, what are you going to, I mean, is it going to be Jameis Winston or is it going to make Taysom Hill the quarterback? I mean, I, you don't, they, there is, there's the chance there that they're not very good. And, and you look at Tampa and yeah, they're probably going to be pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And, and before we let you go, uh, where can listeners find uh, your articles and your socials? Yeah, you can go to uh, Tennessean.com. Um, it's, you know, we, I, I cover the, the Titans. I cover the, if you like hockey, I cover the national predators. I'm headed there to a game tonight. Uh, we just, a talk, talking some, some other football. We just added an MLS team last season, Nashville that played a lot better than was expected. Actually, uh, they had a pretty good, good season as an expansion team. So a lot going on in Nashville and, and you can follow everything we're doing there. You can follow me on Twitter. It's, uh, at uh, Gentry underscore Estes. Perfect. I just learned the hockey thing, actually, because I'm a, I'm a Seahawks fan, and I'm really looking forward to actually seeing the Kraken they'll take part from next season. It's probably, it'll probably get me into watching uh, ice hockey now regularly. I'm looking forward to it. Now, you wonder, Seattle's wanted an NBA team back for so long. I guess they're, they'll be happy with an NHL. NHL team's fun. The, the team in Nashville, people don't realize – you get in the Southern part of the United States, nobody grew up with hockey, but everybody loves it. I mean, even before COVID these, they were selling out every game. And, um, you know, I think the predators have a pretty big following. Yeah. And it was actually the Tampa Bay lightning that won it last year as well. So another team from the South that, that won too. So That's right. that storied rivalry between Tampa Bay and Dallas and the Stanley cup final. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I have a friend who's a, a Calgary fan, and he's a, he's a incense because, you know, it seems as though the uh, 
the the balance of power is tipping from the Canadian teams over to the American sides here on the ice hockey where it's always where for years it was the other way around for sure. Well, you look at these hockey players, where would you want to live? Would you rather go live in Tampa or would you live, want to live in Calgary? I just think I just think <laughs> ice hockey, ice hockey in a swamp is the best thing I can ever <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. And it comes to football too, is like location is a big thing. You know, you don't want to be like all the way up north, like in Green Bay, Buffalo where it snows 360 Buffalo days. better pay me a lot of money to go catch footballs up there. I tell you that. <laughs> well, everyone thought uh, JJ Watt was going to go to the Packers because he's from Wisconsin. No, mm-hmm. no, no he, went to, he went to Arizona. He knew better. The retirement home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it. That's why uh, AJ Green went there too. Now he's getting out of Cincinnati. He's getting out of that cold. He's he's going to get that warm weather climate. It's, you know, the older players it helps their joints. You see, <laughs> see that's it. Tom Brady set the trend there. Now with a, you know, he set the trend with QBs wanting more say now in their teams, and now he's also having say with the veteran players wanting to go to warm weather climates for uh, their last few years of playing ball. So mm-hmm. there we go. But uh, listen. Gentry, thanks so much for coming on today. Really appreciate taking the time out to speak to us about Titans and now a bit about uh, NHL too. We uh, we hope to speak to you again, maybe closer to the season, if not during the year. Yeah, you bet. Take care, guys. Excellent stuff, guys. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to uh, Aaron Freeman about the Atlanta Falcons. And you're welcome back to the Under Center podcast with Dara, Fionn and Jake. We're going to continue our off-season series. This time we're going over to the NFC and we're going to be looking at the Atlanta Falcons. Joining us this week, we're delighted to be joined by host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, Aaron Freeman. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. I'm really happy to be here. I will happily admit the number one reason why I agreed to do this podcast is I just enjoy listening to Irish accents. So I enjoy, <laughs> we, I'm looking will, forward to this conversation we're going to have. We will absolutely take that. <laughs> that is absolutely no problem because any guests, most of the guests that we've had in this series have said the exact same thing. So <laughs> it's totally okay. Don't worry about that. Before we get uh, into the show, if you are watching this on YouTube, can you please uh, like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network? Uh, That is where you will find the podcast each and every week. If you're listening to us on the audio version, it's the same thing. subscribe i should say to the dynamo podcast network wherever you get your podcast you'll find us there each and every week as well so you can listen there too but let's get straight into talking about the atlanta falcons and aaron i'm just going to ask you quickly about the 2020 season that we've just had and because it was a bit of a uh tumultuous time you could say for if you for a Falcons fan you know started off poorly you could say you were involved in a lot of entertaining games including the game against the Bears at home where they let a lead slip late on to Mitch Trubisky and then again the following week with the Cowboys with that crazy onside kick which should have been recovered wasn't recovered and they ended up winning the game yeah, so also the, the firing of head coach Dan Quinn and GM uh, Thomas Dimitrov mid-season. Raheem Morris came in to sort of steady the ship for the end of the year. So like, if you can sort of sum that up, uh, like, what was it like uh, as a Falcons fan in 2020? It was tough. It was tough. Uh, you know, it feels like we, we've been kicked a lot over these last couple of years from the football gods. But 
you know, the thing with Dan Quinn, he he had a slow start in the 2019 season, started off one and seven, didn't finish strong with the team able to sort of rally back to a seven and nine record. And that was enough. They were able to win some games late against some quality teams like the Saints and 49ers that year that led to the expectations that that's the real Falcons. And if they can get back to a similar start uh, as they finished the previous year, that they would be able to get back into the playoff mix. And as you uh, so far explained, that was not the case this year, starting off 0-5, which led to the firing of Dan Quinn. Why they sort of started off slow, you know, if I knew the answer to that, then I would probably not be here doing this podcast. Um, But like, I, I think, you know, they just couldn't, figure it out their defense has been up and down their offense has been struggling the last couple of years since they uh were losing kyle shanahan who's now the head coach of the 49ers and they just haven't been able to really get back on track to their success that they had earlier in the dan quinn era and i think you know a big element for that this past year was they had some injuries uh particularly to julio jones and early in the season whenever julio jones was out of the lineup despite having players like matt ryan and hayden hurst and, and calvin ridley who had a, a breakout year in part due to the injuries to julio jones the offense just did not seem to click uh all that much it, they were better down the stretch and that was a contributing factor to some of their early struggles because julio jones was dealing with a hamstring injury for most of the season missed chunks of the first five six weeks and then basically missed the last month of the season due to that hamstring so that didn't help them and their defense had some positive moments, particularly during the middle of the season when Raheem Morris initially took over as the head coach. Uh, He was calling plays for the team in the first five games when Dan Quinn was the head coach, but it just seemed like the team and the defense did respond better to him uh, once he became the head guy. And that led to the defense playing better down the stretch, but it still was very inconsistent. And I think part of that was just some of the teams that they face, you know, Kansas city, Tampa Bay, green Bay were some of the offenses that they faced this year. And those offenses just had no problems picking them apart. And we even saw lesser offenses, as you mentioned, the Cowboys and the bears, particularly in the second halves of those games were able to pick them apart. And so the Falcons just couldn't hold on the leads and it's just, was a very inconsistent season, uh, which has been sort of the story of the Falcons these last couple of years. Yeah, and obviously now you've got Arthur Smith in as the new head coach and Terry Fontenot, I I hope I'm pronouncing the second name correctly there. Got it. Uh, Perfect. Uh, As the new GM, what are your early impressions of the duo? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because this offseason, because of all the sort of COVID stuff and, you know, you, you're not getting as much access to personnel in organizations as you normally would get. Normally, we would have had to combine and that would have been an opportunity for coaches and general managers of every NFL team to get up in front of the media and talk about what their plans are and all these various things. We didn't get that this year. Um, so my first impressions of Arthur Smith and and Terry Fontenot so far have been pretty favorable, but it it, it does feel like they're kind of more at more arm's length than, you know, we would normally get at this point in the calendar year. So it's, it's kind of a guessing game to a certain extent with those guys in terms of what they could bring. I think obviously they check a lot of the boxes that you're looking for. And with Arthur Smith coming from an offense uh, in Tennessee, that was one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. um, And was also one of the most consistent red zone offenses in the league, which was a big contributing factor to why the Falcons offense struggled this past year, as they were one of the worst red zone offenses in the league in 2020. It's sort of a match made in heaven that you're going to have Arthur Smith, 
coming from a system in Tennessee that he kind of inherited from Matt LaFleur, currently the head coach in Green Bay, but a system that Matt LaFleur learned under Kyle Shanahan. And the last time the Falcons really had that type of play calling, we saw Matt Ryan have an MVP season. We saw the Falcons guide, uh, you know, all the way to the Super Bowl. So, you know, Arthur Smith makes a, a ton of sense. And Terry Fontenot comes from an organization in New Orleans where they've been up against it from the salary cap standpoint these last couple of years. The Falcons are kind of up against it from the salary cap standpoint. So you get a guy that at least has, at least from afar, being, you know, a pro scouting director in New Orleans, has seen how that team has sort of managed you know, a tight salary cap space and, and been able to field competitive teams over the last four years. Um, and it makes a lot of sense for the Falcons to want that in a general manager. So they check a lot of boxes. Ultimately, we're just going to have to find out if they actually live up to those expectations once, you know, the actual games get played in a couple of months. Yeah. And obviously a big thing of the Titans offense was Derek Henry running over defenders left, right and center. There was issues with the running back position last year with, with Todd Gurley, who, who couldn't stay fit, had uh, Brian Hill and Ido Smith there backing him up as well. But obviously they don't have the sort of, uh, I guess, the explosive running game that uh, a Arthur Smith type offense in, in Tennessee would look like. Now they have signed Mike Davis this offseason season. What would you be expecting? Would that be something maybe that they could address in the draft that looking at maybe more of a, a powerhouse running back? Yeah, I, the expectation is that they will further supplement the running back position in the draft. It's just a question of when they'll do that. The addition of Mike Davis means that they don't necessarily have to get that guy in the first or second round of the draft. Maybe they can wait until the third or fourth round. And typically the way that drafts are set up, you can still get good running backs in those rounds that can contribute right away. And so one of the things that Arthur Smith has said multiple times is essentially, you know, Derrick Henry is not walking through that door and they're not going to be able to just sort of hand the ball off to Derrick Henry and, and find success that way because the Falcons just are the chances of them finding another Derrick Henry type of running back are extremely, extremely low, no matter how highly you think of some of these running backs in this upcoming draft. So they're sort of basically been saying that they're going to be committed to a committee system, at least in the short term. And Mike Davis is going to be a big part of that and potentially the biggest piece of that. And we saw him have success in Carolina last year, uh, filling in for, Christian McCaffrey, he showed uh, that he can certainly be a guy that can take a significant portion of the workload and uh, often still be very effective, not only on the ground and through the air, but he also showed the more and more you watched it, that he's not the guy. He can't be the guy that's going to be that sort of feature workhorse guy. So I think that goes back to the earlier point of you still expect the Falcons to add more help in the draft and they'll just sort of have a committee of presumably that rookie Mike Davis, Ito Smith and in Quadri Olison and sort of the competition through camp will determine sort of how big a workload each one of those guys gets this upcoming season. But I, I don't think you're going to see, you know, someone just sort of completely dominate the, the, the carries this upcoming season for the Falcons. Yeah. And as well as other additions in free agency, because they have been quite 
quiet um, in, in compared to other teams, obviously. And they've added a few notable signings. We mentioned Mike Davis. Uh, Fabian Moreau was one. And interestingly, Bartavius Mingo is another who, as well as having the best name in football, um, was part of the Patriots side that beat the Falcons in that Super Bowl. Um, so what have you made of the team signings this offseason? It seems to be more an emphasis of like cap management, like you were mentioning uh Fontenot's uh, history with New Orleans. Yeah, they've been going for the cheap, uh, sort of close to veteran minimum type of contracts and trying to fill some key depth spots, get a couple of starters here or there, at least guys that they think can come in and compete for a starting spot in the event that they aren't able to find a rookie in this upcoming draft class that can come in right away and compete. And those are guys like Barkevius Mingo, like Eric Harris, the safety they signed from the Raiders. Uh, that guy could wind up starting. They were able to pick up Brandon Copeland, uh, the linebacker from the Jets. Uh, they also were able to get Lee Smith. They traded for him the tight end from Buffalo. Josh Andrews was an offensive lineman for the Jets. I'm sure I'm forgetting, you know, a, a couple other guys. You mentioned Fabian Moreau. Um, so a lot of those guys, you know, Copeland, uh, Smith, and, and Andrews are expected to fill death rows, but guys like Moreau, Harris, Mingo could wind up starting. They'll certainly be in the conversation during the competitions uh, this summer. Uh, and we'll sort of have to see how big a priority finding another pass rusher to tag team with Dante Fowler, finding another safety and finding a, another corner is for the Falcons in the upcoming draft. But it's been a sort of try to get the most bang for your buck without having really any amount of money to spend. And I would say the Falcons have done a acceptable job trying to get those they, they're getting guys that for the most part this coaching staff that's coming in with arthur smith is familiar with so they know what they're getting from these guys even if it's not necessarily high level starting aaron one guy that i find very interesting on the falcons team and i'd like to get your opinion on is obviously matt ryan and we've talked a little bit about the super bowl and and not quite making it but getting all the way to that big game he's not so far removed from that game but he's 35 years old uh, I just want to know, how secure do you think he is in, in that seat uh, going forward? And would you like to see the Falcons try to start to address either bring in a young guy to sit behind him or maybe look to move on? Or are you happy with him being there under center for the next few years? And we'll leave that problem uh, for a couple of seasons time. Yeah, that's been the big question for the last several months. And I don't have a definitive answer for you because some days I lean one way, some days I lean the other way. I was expecting the Falcons to look at this draft class as a golden opportunity sitting at that number four overall selection with a four, possibly five man uh, quarterback class, uh, depending on who you talk to uh, at the top of this draft. And, and just having one of those guys fall in your lap and you solidify that quarterback position for years to come. Um, and, and sort of build around that guy. And you kind of watch the taste out of the mouth of that 28 to three loss of, of that era. And it's not to say that that loss was on Matt Ryan in any shape or form. He played well in that game as well as other players did, but it's just sort of a stigma that's been hanging over this team for the last several years and potentially moving in another direction at that quarterback position would be the biggest move that you could make to sort of try to wipe away the past. Uh, in the words of uh, Kylo Ren, you know, kill the past, you know, let it die or whatever he says, if you have to, I butchered that line, but um, you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, you know, I think with the Falcons, at, as far as the quarterback position, that was my expectation going into offseason. And then the Falcons kind of threw a wrench into that by doing their fourth restructure of Matt Ryan's contract 
that they've done in the last five years. And they kind of needed to do it in order to get under the salary cap. Although you can debate whether they needed to, to restructure Matt Ryan's contract in that way um, to get under the salary cap. Uh, but they, they, at some point they were going to have to touch his contract and it just was a matter of how much they would try to save, but they went the full way. And, and now you're in a situation where Matt Ryan's got a $49 million cap hit in 2022 and if the Falcons were to trade him, it would only lower it to $40 million. And that's a huge amount of money to carry on your salary cap, even if it is normal next season uh, and it's not affected by COVID. But that's a huge burden to carry on your salary cap um, for a guy that's not going to play a snap for you, which you would assume would be the scenario if the Falcons drafted a quarterback at four, that you're not going to sit that guy for two whole years. And so the Falcons are kind of in this dilemma where financially speaking, it makes more sense to just sort of bite the bullet. And even if you don't think Matt Ryan is going to be an elite quarterback, you know, these next couple of years and, and pull a Tom Brady or anything like that, that he's just going to give you a lot of value, you know, over the next couple of years and to ride that and see what you can get, the most out of that in his twilight years for the next two to three or four years um, rather than taking quarterback. Um, but at the same time, if you're thinking long-term, if you're thinking, and if you're Terry Fontenot, if you're Arthur Smith and you're like, we're not as worried about our ability to win this year or next year, we're more worried about our ability to win, you know, four or five years from now, then it makes total sense for the Falcons to take a quarterback. So because, you know, I have the luxury of my job not being on the line and I, you know, the Falcons going six and 10 is not going to affect my bottom line uh, in terms of whether I can pay my bills this year. Um, I tend to go for more of the long-term solution and taking the quarterback, but I wouldn't begrudge them if they decide, look, Matt Ryan's still a good quarterback. He's still capable of being a top 10 quarterback. And we believe that given our system with Arthur Smith was able to turn Ryan Tannehill, who was a below average starter into one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the league. We certainly can do the same thing for Matt Ryan over these next couple of years. And let's go out there and get a blue chip player. That's not a quarterback, like a pass catcher, like a tight end, like Kyle Pitts or an offensive lineman like Penny Sewell. And let's, you know, build it the right way around Matt Ryan, which you can argue the Falcons did not necessarily do despite some of the weapons that they had, but they kind of neglected the offensive line for several years. And that led to some of the issues that they've had on the offensive side of the ball these last couple of years. So, you know, it's an interesting conversation and it's going to be a conversation that I will continue to go back and forth on uh, until we find the answer out, you know, on April 29th when uh, round one of the draft hits. Yeah. And yeah. I I just I just want to ask you very quickly, sorry, um, about the, the draft, because we saw that the big trade last week with San Francisco going up to four and all the expectation is that they are going to draft a quarterback at number three. Do you think now with the Falcons of CF4, the pressure now is off Fontano and uh, Smith that they don't feel like they have to draft the quarterback now they can have a look at maybe a Jamar Chase or like you said a Kyle Pitts or maybe someone on the line I think maybe it's going in the opposite direction and that's a good question I, I probably need to think about this a little bit more but to a certain extent I kind of think the 49ers trading what they traded to Miami now means that there's expectations that the Falcons should be able to get a similar haul by trading back and if you don't trade back and you don't take a quarter, I think there's going to be a lot more questions around the Falcons if they stay at four and don't take a quarterback. 
and they take a position player. I think there's going to be a lot more people being like, hmm, was it the right move to pass up on a quarterback there and take a position player that high? If you were going to take a position player, why not try to move back? Now, the question is whether or not they'll be able to move back because that will take somebody else also wanting to give up a 49er-like haul, uh, multiple future first-round picks in order to go up to four, which I tend to be very skeptical of. I thought the 49ers were the one team that was most likely to do that other than Carolina. And we kind of know that the Falcons are probably not going to trade with Carolina because they play in the same division. So you kind of needed the 49ers to make that deal with the Falcons as opposed to the Dolphins. But so I I think to answer your question, I think it kind of puts more pressure on the team to take a quarterback at four if if they wind up staying put there. Yeah, kind of. I had very similar questions to Fionn and uh, and Dara's point on the draft as well. So I'll go. I'll add one little point to that, and then add just uh, another question. Firstly, how much do you love Young Hui Koo? Is he not the best player on your team? I absolutely love the guy. He is fantastic. Um, and also, I have said this on the the pod a few times that the Falcons should have blown up this team and started from the very start. Should have traded away anybody they could have gotten any value out of it because I just don't think there's any point in them going. Um, nine and what is it now nine and eight next year um, get picking midway in the draft or whatever and, and not being able to do it so I think they should go quarterback this year and they should start to think about life after Julio life after Matt Ryan yeah I think for that last point I think you're right like I can't argue against you um, it just boils down to preference it really kind of just boils down to how this regime how much gas they think is left in those players tanks uh, to whether or not they feel like look we, we, you know, the NFL stands for not for long and we can't always guarantee that if we completely tear this thing down in, in two or three years, that we're going to be in a position to be able to win games. Um, so, you know, you potentially make the case that the better you are right away, the longer a leash you're going to potentially get long-term. Um, as for Young Way Koo, uh, yeah, Young Way Koo was one of the few bright spots in the Falcon season this year. Um, unfortunately, he kind of left a, a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth because he missed a kick against the Chiefs that could have sent that game in overtime. Not that I expected the Falcons to find, figure out a way to beat the Chiefs, but it was just one of those things where, like, as long as the Falcons could just keep this ruse going that they can beat a team like the Chiefs, it at least is the biggest entertainment that I can have. And, and him missing a chip shot late in that game, it was just like, this is – and it, it's difficult with Young Way Koo because he's stepped into Matt Bryant's shoes, who was a – a very successful kicker for the Falcons for a decade and was very consistent hitting those clutch kicks and Falcon fans like myself have gotten so used to just, Oh, those are automatic kicks. And then to see someone miss them, it's like, you know, what's going on. But uh, yeah, he, he, he's great. Um, and uh, was, was there a third question you asked? I'm sorry. No, I just really wanted to know what you thought about Young Way Koo because I just think he's fantastic. His onside kick skill just blows my mind yes, every time yeah. I see him do it. Yeah, it is crazy that, it's either the this the one air. It's weird that the Falcons tend to be so unlucky uh, in all other things, but it seems like they're really good at recovering onside kicks. So either they're the luckiest team in a weirdly niche way, or they're like the unluckiest team, but it kind of balances it out. It's it's, it's just a, a very weird phenomenon. But look, I'm not complaining if if the Falcons have a legitimate chance to recover an onside for like the the two times it's needed a season, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, and, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up soon. But before we do, we're coming into, uh, I believe it's the last year of Calvin Ridley's rookie deal before he's eligible for a contract extension. Um, would you like to see the Falcons extend them? And, and secondly, how, how much do you think the market rate is going to be? 
Ooh, uh, the second question is gonna be tough. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be a big number. Um, yeah, I think I think they they should definitely try to extend him. I, I think you have to plan for life after Julio Jones, and it always seemed like with the recent contract that they gave to Julio a couple of summers ago, that it always signed kind of lined up perfectly for him to play out this upcoming 2021 season in Atlanta. The Falcons could move on from him, and then that same offseason, which would be next offseason. Um, pay Calvin Ridley his contract and sort of just kind of like, okay, the future is now and have sort of Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, take the torch from Julio lines up perfectly for the Falcons in terms of a number. I'm guessing at least $18 million a year in terms of what you're going to have to pay. I think we're quickly approaching an era where a, a lot of players at a lot of different positions are going to be making $20 million a year very soon. And it's just, it's a little jarring because in my brain, I can still remember the days where a, a player got paid $5 million a year and that was a huge contract. That's how old I am. But um, it is one of those things where it's like, I think you, at some point we just got to make peace that if you want to have a good player at a position, you're going to pay him $20 million or more. Um, and I think Calvin really is certainly in that conversation uh, based off of how he played last year. And I think can continue to grow and, you know, still has several prime years left of his career and certainly while may not be on the same level as Julio Jones at the height of his powers, I think certainly is a very good uh, wide receiver and, and certainly one of the best route runners in the league and capable of being in the conversation with guys like Devonte Adams and Stefan Diggs as, as one of the best route runners in the league in that level of wide receiver. So I think he's definitely worth the money. It's just going to be a matter of how much, the Falcons think and how much Calvin really thinks. And we'll probably find out the answer to that based off of how he performs this upcoming season in Arthur Smith's offense. Yeah. And um, lastly, we found out that today that it's been official. We kind of known it for a couple of weeks that the uh, 17th game is coming to the NFL starting from next year. Uh, the way the uh, algorithm works, it looks like that the Falcons are going to be going to uh, Jacksonville to play the Jaguars in their extra game. Now it could also be an international game um, because I know the Falcons were due to have their international game this coming season, uh, season just gone. So they might just postpone it for a year as well. But well, what do you think of the uh, 17th game? Is it something that you're in favor of? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think get, before I get into that, I think it's an interesting quirk of the schedule that the Falcons might be facing potentially four out of the five rookie quarterbacks on top of this draft. If, if it goes a certain way with, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, Zach Wilson with the Jets, uh, San Francisco now with whoever they wind up taking. And if Carolina winds up taking a quarterback, you know, at eight, there's a good chance that all those guys will be on their schedule. But as far as the 17th game, it, it seems like this has been the direction the league has been going in. Uh, and so I've made my peace with it, uh, you know, despite all the concerns, the I think the legitimate concerns about player safety, guys can barely make it through a 16 game season. Uh, so, you know, every game that you add onto that is not helping in that regard. Um, you know, my biggest issue with it is not the, the expansion to 17 games. It's the fact that they didn't add an extra bye week. Like, at least you could have thrown the players a bone and said, look, you get an extra day of rest and you're, you're never going to play more than eight games in a row or whatever the case may be. Um, but I, I'm, I'm assuming that here in the States we have NASCAR uh, and, and they have a big event every year, two weeks after the Super Bowl called the Daytona 500. 
And I'm, I'm imagining, I, I haven't heard any confirmation about it, but I assume that had they added two more weeks to the regular season uh, with an, a, a second bye week, that it would have wound up forcing the Super Bowl back two weeks, which would have then conflicted with that. So that's the reason why they didn't do it. Um, it's always financial in, in the end of the day. So, you know, I, I tend to be very cynical about it, but at the same time, like not so cynical where I'm like, oh, this is bad for the league. It's just, I think they could have done a better job, but look, I'm not going to wind up complaining with more football as most people are going to wind up being it. it you know, I, I joked with people a year ago. I can't even remember what the situation was, but it, it might've been, I don't remember what, Oh, the expansion of the playoffs. That's what it was. The seventh seed in the playoffs um, that we often complain about things in the NFL. And then we just go along with it. That's just the way that, you know, the, the take industry works where it's like, oh, the NFL is doing this terrible thing. But guess what? Just as many people are watching the games, more people are watching the game. So it's one of those things where it's become habitual to complain about things in the NFL. Okay. But at the end of the day, like, it's not that big a deal. Uh, so even if it sounds like I'm complaining about a 17th game, it's like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I'm not going to see any fan. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not going to see any fans say, well, I'm only going to watch 16 regular season games this year and protest. <laughs> boycott, yeah. boycott. Yeah. Boycott game 17, hashtag boycott 17. But hashtag we can start. I mean, I won't yeah. do it, but we can start it. I'm sure we'll have, we'll definitely have Alvin Kamara on our side anyway, because I think he's yeah. been the most vocal so far against it. Um, well, listen, lastly, Aaron, before we let you go, where can people find uh, your podcast and socials? Yeah, they can find Lockdown Falcons five days a week, Monday through Friday on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, your preferred podcast platform. And of course, if you want to get really snarky, but occasionally insightful uh, thoughts on the Atlanta Falcons, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Falcfans. That's F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. I mean, there's nothing I love more than a snarky comment on Twitter. <laughs> That's why you became a Giants fan. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on today, Aaron. Uh, we hope that we will be speaking to you again, if not before the start of the season, at some point during it, um, if you are interested in coming back on. Absolutely, guys. I uh, would love to chat with you guys later. Uh, perfect uh, that is it for this uh, show if you haven't already please subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network that is where you will find our podcast each and every week you also subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network wherever you get your audio podcast whether that be Apple Google Spotify wherever just search Dynamo Podcast Network you'll find us there and make sure you have a listen in there as well uh, but that is it for the show this week we are done and until we speak to you again stay safe <laughs>